step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Diana Dettinger, best-selling author of the book Modus Vivendi, Your Life, Your Way, as well as an international speaker and founder of the Meaning of Life School, where you learn to be you. My mission is to connect you to your innate greatness for a healthier, happier, and more fulfilling life. You can find more about this interview at journeytosuccessradio.com. And my guest today is Nigel Wall. Nigel is someone I am so tickled to interview because he not only walks his talk, he actually runs his talk, swims his talk, flies his talk, sails his talk, bikes his talk, and soon you'll understand why. So welcome, Nigel, and I really appreciate you taking time to be with us today. No problem, Diane. It's great to be here, and I look forward to chatting with you. Yeah, Nigel and I are co-authors in the book Journey to Success, Volume 2, and his chapter is about passing the rock, which is a very, very touching story, and he'll tell, tell you a little bit more about that later. So here, born in England, Nigel started you know, a lot of careers from you know, design engineering, then moved into the hustle and bustle of you know, information technology, and that was like back in the early 80s. And even though he had this amazing and impressive career growth, uh, he soon found that with the pressures of business and the redundancy, he started to really get into some slippery ground with his health. And in the late 90s, uh, I think he were, you said you were smoking like 50 cigarettes a day, no exercise, gaining weight, overweight, working in a highly, highly stressed environment until... The story that happens with so many people at age 43, the doctor just gives him this out-out kind of, it's time to freaking shape up your life. <laughs> so he did. Luckily, you know, quit smoking, started running. In six months, he lost, you know, 50 pounds, ran, you know, half a marathon, and, you know, has completely restructured and rethought his life. And in 2001, he made life-changing decision to get out of the IT sector. He actually started his own business in the area of leadership development. And he has this, you know, he's a recognized leader in leadership with this, with this major book called Ask Leadership. He's also a personal fitness coach, Ironman, triathlon. We could like go on with this guy. Talk about, talking about like closed up gray London. <laughs> now he lives in Trinidad and Tobago, ultra, you know, marathoner. He ran 101 miles on his 59th birthday, cycled 300 miles in like, you know, 
one ride the year before. For his recent birthday, he paraglided. I, should I tell people you're 60 already? <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that, Diana. I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, paraglided, you know, at 10,000 feet in the Andes Mountains in, in Colombia. You know, he travels. He's an adventure seeker. He's visited already 43 countries, author, pilot, sailor, musician, photographer. I mean, he is, you're the, you're the man to marry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Either, well, I mean, you're probably the man to marry. I'm going to joke around. This is going to be fun. You're probably the man to marry because you're always gone. And don't they say that relationships actually last longer when you don't always have to, like, always constantly live together? <laughs> I guess there's some level of truth of that. I better tell my partner what you just said, though. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be very she'll be very tickled about that. <laughs> well, you know, I think it makes things fresh and new when you're not yep. seeing each other constantly, you know, every day on a daily basis. But anyway, so you know, tell us about this. Well, let me get let me just tell the inter the the, the listeners. Uh, so Nigel is in Trinidad Tobago, which is you know in the Caribbean, sort of north of uh, Venezuela, and I actually live in northern Italy. So this is a very international kind of interview and you were born in London I was born in Chicago and so you know we're we're immigrants and you know people of the world I guess pretty much and so it's fun to to have the multicultures living in you know different in in different environments from where we were where we grew up and I, I think that's probably part of even our personal search and personal journey and maybe even part of a willingness to change what's what's your take on that um, I think that uh, the world is shrinking from a point of view of the use of technology as we're chatting from six-hour time difference and 5,000 miles. I think cultures are, cultures are becoming kind of intermingled. Um, and likewise, I think, you know, how we learn and the lessons that we can pass on, how we can learn from other people and how we can pass on our messages to other people um, is, is just so much easier now with all the technology around and with the ease of travel. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, and, and the, the, the place I live, um, Trinidad, it's actually Trinidad and Tobago, um, but you can call it Tobago if you want. Well, because I put the Italian, ah, uh, we say ah, uh, everything is, you know. <laughs> so Trin Trinidad itself, uh, Trinidad and Tobago is, is something of a cultural melting pot anyway. We have people of East Indian origin, people of African origin, people of European origin, all kind of drop together into this into these islands. And uh, so culturally, it's a really interesting place to be. Yeah, I think we should all just sign up for coaching and say, are you going to invite us? If we sign up for coaching with you, leadership coaching, does that mean we can spend a week at your house? Is, can, can we like get deals going with the, with the yeah we can, we can all come and hang out we we'll go out to the beach and eat some local food drink some local beer and of course run some run some local runs oh yeah well tell us do you do you because you, you do the personal training and leadership coaching how do you tie in the the mindset the emotional the body how do you find that that is important in in taking people to a new level? Yeah, that's a great point. All of the work I do with people is is in is very very holistic. I don't. So if I'm working working with an executive, coaching on leadership and so on, we look at the total person. Um, and inevitably, people, particularly in a highly stressed environment or in a corporate world, which is where I spend a lot of my time, 
working. I have people who are unfit. Maybe they still smoke. Maybe they drink too much. Maybe they don't exercise at all. And in, invariably, it comes out at some point during the discussions and during the coaching sessions that they need to change their lifestyle uh, very much in the way that um, affected me all those years ago. And so, you know, the, the, the inevitability is there then becomes a link. So in order to, you know, they may be doing a great job of their careers, but maybe their home life sucks, uh, their fitness and health is poor. Uh, and so really it's about helping people get that balance, which then brings in my kind of, you know, view of, 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 of coaching people on how to get fit and, and all the benefits of being fit. Yeah, well, do you find that it's easier as an entrepreneur to be fit? You know, there's this this myth, let's say, uh, th- this myth that, you know, the entrepreneur has all this freedom, even though, you know, from my experience being, you know, also an entrepreneur, we pretty much live our work 24-7 because it's such a part of our DNA, I would say, that we really, I, I find that even, you know, the entrepreneur friends and, and people that I coach, we're pretty much on because our coaching or our lifestyle is really it revolves around everything we love to do do you find that it's more difficult for someone who's in a nine-to-five job which you know i'm sure in big cities is more like uh eight to ten as in ten in the evening (laughs) do you find it's more difficult for someone as an executive to find the time to have that more freedom in their lifestyle yeah, uh, you know it, it's a it's a fallacy that people believe. You know, I work, I work nine to five. Or in the case here, we work earlier hours, so it tends to be kind of like seven or seven till four, something like that. Um, it's and and if people go out there to find time to get fit or find time to spend more time with their family, then they're not going to find it. They have to make it and plan it and execute against it, and realize that it is as or more important than their day job. Uh, once they have that mind shift that uh, and I even have to be pretty blunt sometimes with people to say if you died today this business that you work for would still exist tomorrow <laughs> that's broad that's pretty blunt <laughs> and I, I I only do it when I absolutely have to Diana I don't scare everybody but but occasionally I'll have people, well, you know, I've got this meeting coming up and that's going to take me till eight o'clock tonight and I, so I couldn't get to the gym or I couldn't work out and so I do have to do that shake-up every now and then to get people to think seriously about what are your priorities. What, well, is what about if they, if they have the boss and they have someone above them who's deciding the results they need to reach? And, you know, either, you know, nowadays they're saying, especially you know, what, I, what I see is more like in the health industry as in the hospital industry, mm-hmm. that they're understaffed. So those people are really putting in a long, long days and, you know, they could, by the time they get home, all they want to do is just fall into bed. Yeah, and I mean, I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for people who are in that environment. But at the end of the day, you have to make a choice. And the choice is if the, if the work environment and so on is not conducive to your long-term health, your family balance and so on, then maybe you have to think about changing your job, changing the things you do, changing, even changing the industry uh, that you work in. Yeah, because that's that's what you did. That's what you did. Well, tell us about the wake up, the wake up call, the sh- the shaker at age forty three. What your doctor told you? Oh, my doctor was brutal, um, uh, and, and quite rightly so. He was also a friend of mine, so I don't think many doctors would have used his bedside manner. I went for an insurance. I went for an insurance medical, 
And he signed the form at the end of the medical and shoved the paper across the desk at me and said, Nigel, this is the last time I'm signing any of this stuff for you. And I said to him, what do you mean? Is there something wrong with me? And he said, overall, he said, I can't pinpoint one thing, not one single illness that you have, but your entire lifestyle says that you're not going to make 50 years old. Um, and he's like, you know, 40s is critical for a man. You smoke excessively. You drink. You don't exercise. You work stupid hours. You don't have any downtime. Um, and he said, I don't know what's going to kill you. He said, it could be a heart attack. It could be cancer, emphysema, diabetes, uh, stroke. He said, but something's very, very likely to get to you in the next seven years. And then, he, then, because he knew me, he said, oh, by the way, how are your daughters? Oh, wow. And so that's Talk kind of... about the emotional trigger for, for longevity. <laughs> that's it. So, so, you know, it kind of, it, it really, really got me thinking. And he talked to me about, you know, how old are they? And don't you want to see them walk down the aisle one day and play with your grandkids? And so I walked out of the doctor's office. I scrunched my sister cigarette again it's the ultimate non-smoking you know how to quit smoking and I bought some running shoes um, and I decided I was going to be a runner and um, I also at that point started to review my job and and I what I recognized was I was going to work to do a job I, I was good at but I didn't like in an industry that was increasingly dog eat dog working for a company that I didn't like. And I even said to my boss when I resigned, um, you know, I really don't like you either. So I was kind of like, you know, they always say don't burn bridges. I burnt every single damn bridge <laughs> that I had. And it was, it was actually quite refreshing in a way. It was refreshing to walk out of an industry. It was also scary to not have a job um, and to have probably around six months' worth of savings in the bank. Um, well, wasn't, and, it, wasn't it also very empowering? I mean, to take, yeah, because you said you said refreshing, and I I, I could imagine um, like a, like a breeze after you take a run. Then there's this breeze, and it's refreshing, refreshing. Mm-hmm. But while you were telling the story, I could actually see you burning those bridges and then becoming this like Superman, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like now my life is mine. Yes, and, and that's a great way to describe it. And I felt very empowered. Um, I, was still, I was still pretty unhealthy. So I, I, did, I did this kind of, I did detox stuff. I ran. I, I didn't actually run to start off with. I kind of flopped because I was overweight. <laughs> um, I, I seem to remember the first run. I got about 200 yards and threw up. Um, wow. So I've got myself a, a personal trainer to basically say, okay, don't run, walk. And, and, and then I started to look at my job and everything. And then I thought, okay, I can do this. I can do this personal coaching thing. And I did a couple of exercises to figure out where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And then I threw myself into it. I, 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 I had my six-month paycheck. I went back to school to learn how to be a coach and particularly how to be a facilitator I read books on leadership and team building, and I immersed myself in this kind of new business. I registered a business, um, and then I set about going and finding customers. And as the last mortgage payment dropped out of the bank account, I got my first project. 
Wow, that's great. Yeah, like believing mm -hmm. when you can believe in yourself. Well, do you, do you think like as a, as a kid, were you that, um, I wouldn't just say headstrong, but strong willed, like even as a kid, did you enjoy the running and the swimming or the biking or? No, uh, it was, it was, I, I, as, as a kid, no, I, I actually did really transform. I mean, I was a very active person. I learned to fly, um, years before the, you know, kind of, I went through that career thing. So I had always been pretty goal orientated. I learned to sail with my dad when I was a youngster. I did some hiking, but I wasn't a runner. I couldn't really swim. Um, but I, I, I was pretty well goal directed. And I think this kind of, you know, at the, those life events in my forties really, it reawoke some stuff, but it really fired up the rest. It's kind of like, you know, this, it was that classic, this is the first day of the rest of your life type stuff. Wow. And so, you know, that was the that was the big kind of open opening that I got, and I I reevaluated pretty much every aspect of what I was doing. And then what's and how did you get down to uh, to the Caribbean? Um, kind of a long story. I came here first on a a prize. It was like best salesperson. They sent us all down to Barbados. We got on a cruise ship and they sailed us around. Expenses paid. And as I came around, I thought, I could really do this. I like this down here. So then it was like, what is the most industrial island where I can actually work, Trinidad? I'd met somebody who who lived in Trinidad. Um, and so I ended up I ended up living here. And um, I haven't looked back ever since. I travel the world still, but this is my home base. It's kind of a, it's, it's a paradise on an island. It's got everything. It's got business environment. It's got beaches, great food, awesome people. Um, so it's really nice down there. So I, I'm not moving. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Exactly. Well, do you guys get hit by hurricane weather and things like that either? We are, we are south of the hurricane belt. Um, we do occasionally get the tail end of some rough weather, but there's, there's a saying down here, which is really interesting. They say that God's a Trini. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and the, the proof is there have been a couple of hurricanes have been coming straight at the island. You know, the, the little plot graph that you see on the weather shows this monster hurricane heading straight for Trinidad and Tobago. And invariably at the last minute, they twist away and head off in another direction. So um, I'm inclined to think there's, some, there's at least some kind of proof that, that may, there may be some relationship between Trinidadians <laughs> and the Lord. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, because these are these are like you know little tidbits from culture yeah. that unless you know someone from that place, then you know you wouldn't really just look on you know Wikipedia and what are the sayings that people say in a certain yes. place. Of the well, do you find that that living in an environment that is so much more nature outdoors, you're given that opportunity to really you know breathe the fresh air and have the warm sun and the sea and all the ions and the minerals, do you find that that really facilitates better living? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I lived in England for most of my life uh, before I came out here, although I traveled extensively around Europe, U.S., and so on. And I think the, the climate and the environment in which you live is either conducive to, it, you know, it helps and guides and so on, or it can be detrimental. Um, when, I, when I started running, for example, in England, it was late 
autumn and I had to revert to exercising in a gym. Um, I cannot stand treadmills. I don't like treadmills. And I don't need one out here because we have 365 days a year, great weather. Well, do you think there will ever be a trend in which uh, the, the corporations that tend to, let's say, the multinationals that still have a lot of people on their payroll, do you think that they will be able to outsource, as in have enough people work from home, that the world will that people will tend to migrate to live in a, in an environment as in with better weather i i would love to think the answer is yes but i honestly don't believe that in the short period of time in the in the short term um from what i see of corporations those that those that are okay for people to work from home um or even actively encourage it are few and far between they will often do it begrudgingly or because there is a direct ROI, not because it benefits the lifestyle of the employee. Maybe that's me being a little bit cynical. Yeah, um, well, but it's, it's, it's realistic. Yeah. The, the, which, is, which is such a bummer because you know, you know all the statistics on absenteeism. You know all the mm-hmm. statistics on you know, the insurance and how much it costs a company to have unhealthy employees. Yeah, but the, the one encouraging thing I see is organizations here and internationally um, because I work with companies outside of the Caribbean they are placing um, increased um, focus on wellness Um, organizations will often now have gymnasiums they have uh, aerobic sessions in the evenings and so they're, they're now understanding that a fit and healthy employee is a more productive and more highly motivated employee um so there, there, are, there is an increasing um, focus on that. And the, the old days, I think, of the success being viewed by how long you spend in the office, I think, fortunately, that is dying a death as well. And it's much more around what results are you producing? How productive are you? Um, yeah, because I've been in the corporate training business over in Italy for the past 25 years. And we had talked about that, that before, seeing the evolution from – just the business strategy and the mental process. And then with, you know, with, with emotional intelligence, then all of a sudden there was something that we added on to our corporate training. Let's have people understand what they're feeling even while they're working. And now this next shift into a more healthy lifestyle, into the holistic part. And I, I think it's very, very important to um, not just to think as, human capital as in the return on investment <laughs> to yeah. think of really the, the investment in the well-being of, of the whole human. Well, so tell us about your, I, I, I laugh so hard about you and swimming. So tell us <laughs> that even though you do these triathlons, you are not, you were not, you know, in, you're not innately a fish. And then no. tell us about your chapter in the, called Passing the Rock, which is really a lovely story. Okay. Well, the, I'm not innately a fish at all. No. In fact, when I was a kid, I went to swimming lessons at school and I got to the stage where I could basically not die in a pool. Um, but I was never, uh, and I could also do a little bit of snorkeling and so on. But, but when it came to, you know, as the years went past, my swimming deteriorated to pretty much zero. And also I had this kind of fear of water on my face. Water going up my nose would cause a blind panic. And the thought of actually looking down and seeing darkness rather than, you know, the, the light blue of the bottom of a pool scared, frankly, scared me. 
but I just had this hankering after being an ultramarathon runner and running 50-plus mile races, cycling and doing multi-sport races involving cycling and, and running. And then the next transition was definitely going to be a triathlon. But, of course, you have to swim, and you have to learn to swim open water. And so I went through this process um, of deciding, did I want to do it badly enough to overcome these fears? And the, the, the answer was very definitely yes. So then it was like, how on earth do you learn to swim at the age of 55 years old? When I told some, when I told some people, they're like, what? You can't do that. If you're not a great swimmer when you're, give me a year, you know, 20, 30, whatever, you're never going to do it. So that encouraged me. Yeah, because you must be you must be the guy that just loves tell me I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. And then let me show then let me show you. Then let me show you. So I basically found a bunch of a bunch of people who were in a similar situation to me. Not none of them was old as me, but they all wanted to learn to swim to do a triathlon. So I kind of hung out with them. We went to the pool. We started in the kids' pool because they wouldn't let us in the big pool because they thought we might die. <laughs> so, so we, we did the face out the water, building confidence, bubbles under the water, eventually getting to this 50-meter pool. And if you've ever seen an Olympic 50-meter pool, it looks a long way, particularly to somebody who can't swim. So I'd, I'd applied my goal-setting principles, which I coach people on. So it's like have a goal, have a clear deadline, build, understand the benefits to drive motivation, and then have affirmations that you talk to yourself about. So I developed this affirmation when I couldn't swim. And this caused a lot of humor amongst my friends. And it was like my, my affirmation was, I am a swimming monster. <laughs> and so people would laugh because I'd be in the pool splashing around, just trying to grab hold the rope so I didn't drown and do a few strokes. And I'm shouting out to myself, Nigel, I'm a swimming monster. I'm a swimming monster. I'm a swimming monster. So, you know, the, 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 the progression over a period of three, four months was I went from splashing around to being able to hold my own and actually swim, and then I moved to open water swimming. And now the fact of the matter is I am a swimming monster. Um, I love to swim. The deeper, the darker the water. I've got my dive certificate for scuba diving. I've wreck dived on deep dives. Um, and open water swimming is just, it's, it's one of the great blessings in life. Um, well, so when, how, how, how long did, or when, what, how much, how much time passed before you did the first triathlon? I, six months from learning to swim. No uh, way. Yeah. So I, I went from non-swimmer to triathlete in, in six months. And that was a sprint Jeez. distance, sprint distance triathlon, which required 750 meter which is, what, a quarter of a mile swim up to the next year I did Olympic distance, which requires um, a mile, one-mile swim, 1,500 meters. And then uh, 2013, I did Ironman, which is a 4,000-meter um, open-water swim, 112-mile bike ride, 26.2-mile marathon. So the progression, the progression, that was two years from learning to swim to doing a full Ironman race. Okay, well, then people are going to ask you. If I don't ask you, then people, this question will stay in their mind. Uh, do you, how do you, when do you find time to work? Because it sounds like you would, you would need to be training hours and hours a day. Like, what, is, what does your day look like when okay. you're training? How many hours of either running or biking or swimming? 
when I'm Ironman, I'm not Ironman training at the moment. I'm training for Olympic uh, triathlon, which is actually next weekend in Tobago. So I'm exercising every day, um, probably around four hours at the weekend and an hour a day during the week. So that's not a big overload. Most people can fit that in. For Ironman training, I think the best way to describe training for an Ironman is like a part-time job. Um, mm. you're, looking, you're looking to put in 15 to 20 hours of training per week. Um, so if the average person works 40 hours, then, yeah, it's a part-time job. Um, well, but, I mean, how, have you ever done statistics on how much time people waste in a day? I, I do it all of the time because I have people say, and I, say, I don't know how you do that. How do you find time? And it's like, um, so I, get, I can't do that. And then I, I ask a simple question. I was working with a group just last week, eight of them, and, and they want to kind of find more time to do stuff. And I said, how many of you watch television? Every single hand went up in the air. And I said, I said, write down the number of hours that you watch TV on a daily basis. And it ranged from like two, which I think was probably a bit of a, a self-lie. Because when I asked about what programs they watched, I said, well, I watch a movie in the evening and I watch a bit of news in the morning or whatever. I got three hours. Right. So if you simply <clears throat> transfer many people's TV time into other things, you know, like exercise, like writing, like, you know, doing creative, like painting, like doing creative things, then switching off the TV is something I encourage people to do. Um, from a personal point of view, uh, when I'm, when I'm let, let's say, Ironman training, um, I rarely work past three o'clock. You know, the life, the, the life of an entrepreneur is, is, as you say, it's kind of a bit 24-7, but that doesn't mean you're working 24-7. You can be thinking um, and creating and so on. So when I go out training, like if I'm Ironman training, I'll do two hours every evening. I, I use that as thinking time. So I go for a two-hour run. I come back. There's always a notepad by my door. I write stuff down. Um, yeah, what I find is even, you know, I drive my kids, I drive my kids to a, a really beautiful school that's uh -huh. up in the green hills. And now it's, you know, cherry season. So there's, um, it's a really beautiful drive. Uh -huh. And I, I pretty much with dragon dictation, when uh -huh. I drive home the 20 minutes, I pretty much can dictate a blog post or a chapter of a book in that 20 minutes. I, I like um, I like to really find those moments in which I can, let's say, multitask, as in drive and talk at the same time. Yep. Or, yeah, as an entrepreneur, I find, especially, I hope the listeners understand this, there's so much time that you can really mm -hmm. find in those break times that nowadays with technology or with a notepad or, you know, you, you can really always be creative, which is yeah, wonderful. It is. And my... My iPad goes everywhere with me. When I'm sitting waiting for a customer to come to a coaching session and I have an idea, my iPad comes out and I'm scribbling notes on it, furiously scribbling notes. So I feel, I would say I'm a productive person. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong in terms of, you know, my days are packed, jam-packed with activities. You know, like on Sunday, uh, we went off to the beach and sat and did absolutely nothing for three hours on the beach. Um, so it's kind of, it's important to have the, the, I didn't, I didn't write anything down. I didn't think of anything. I did some people watching, went swimming and stuff. So it's like, you can still get the downtime, but, but when you are in productive mode, 
you know, be a, be a productivity monster doing whatever it is you're doing, if you're writing or uh, exercising and so on. So it's perfectly feasible to, to get to do the, the, the big athletic stuff, get yourself fit, um, find, make the time rather than finding time. I have a lot of my managers who will go use local gym facilities at lunchtime. Um, I have another group whose family is a little more independent, so they come into the they, they leave maybe an hour earlier in the morning, and so they'll go do some exercise before they get to work. And another group who kind of well they'll kick off at four o'clock, which is the normal finish time out here. They make sure they're out at four and they're out in the well to exercise or whatever the balance thing is, whether it be exercise or creativity or entrepreneuring or, or whatever. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, I think you're right. When people schedule it and they commit to it or they have some kind of accountability partner. <laughs> I mean, my kids, yep. you know, this is funny. Uh, you know, I told you that uh, we're sort of naturally we're naturally thin in our in our family. So, you know, I've, I've never had a weight problem. But being thin, I find that, you know, at over 50, I, I should probably whisper this that I get the bat wings, you know? So I've got my accountability partners are my two younger children, you know, who are, you know, 13 and 14. Like, mom, did you do your bat wing exercises? And it's just a real, they'll tell me about, you know, what went on today, what, what went on in their day at school. And I'll just get out my little, you know, dumbbells or little barbell kind of things. And, you know, they understand that that's, that's going to be, they're going to be telling me about their day, but at least I get, you know, the seven minute little routine done and, you know, everyone is happy. It, it's all about making time. And, and especially, I would say, for women. For women, it's even not feeling guilty that you're taking away something from someone. Yes. If, if you're giving it to yourself. Now, I think there's a, because there's a little bit of a different take, the masculine side than the, the feminine mm-hmm. side on how much, how much self-care is allowed, let's say, because women tend to serve you know their family members more you know yeah and i agree i have um i have two grown-up daughters in england and um they both are busy moms working moms um and my younger daughter anna has three three daughters so i have i've got actually four granddaughters altogether something about women in the family growing through the family but um (laughs) anna is anna anna has taken a little bit after me in that she runs she she she's gone through a couple of tights into baby stages where she put on some weight so she got into running and she has one of these things i don't know if you know about these things called a fitbit no what is it it's it's a it's a device that goes on your wrist a bit. It's just a black strap, and it actually measures the amount of movement. So it can it guesses it can very cleverly technologically guesses how many steps you're making during the day, and it downloads. You have an app on your phone, so you can see how much activity you're doing or have done. And um, so, her and and my my other daughter Kath and some of their friends have this competition going on as to how many people can get how many steps in a day. And it's kind of quite motivating for them because it's that group accountability that you talked about, which I think is really important. It's technologically di- driven because the Fitbit uploads via the phone so everybody can see how much activity everybody else is doing. So they have daily goals and weekly goals. And I was just up in England last week and I went for a run with, with my daughter, as we do. And then later on in the evening, uh, I'm sitting at her house and we're just about to have dinner and she's marching around the living room. And the three, oh, funny. 
the three the three kids the three kids are in various states of food shoved into ears because they're all little kids you know and kind of it's a little bit chaotic and 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 Anna is strutting around the room marching around the room I said what are you doing Anna she said I haven't got enough steps for the day I want to get up to <laughs> 20,000 steps for the day and I thought the run we're doing it didn't so she's marching around the house running up and downstairs while the kids well there's still a bit of chaos going on in the house so it's kind of yeah, that's the accountability, but it's like you, you, you can fit. It's amazing what you can fit things into the day. Well, so, I mean, it, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I, it's funny when the com- the competition becomes a game. Yes. I mean, that's what I enjoy. You know, I find that people people learn, they commit, not when there's the pressure you have to, but yes. when there's that real lightness about, you know, a funny, well, you know, whoever didn't get the count at the end of the week, you know, has to to pay for the beer or the soda or the, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, or the babysitter or the movie. Yeah, that's really fun. Okay, yeah. well, tell us then. Let's end up with you telling us a little bit about your Passing the Rock, which okay. is the title of your chapter, which is just a, an amazing story. Yeah, well, I kind of, uh, yeah, I, I came up with this. Um, I, I as, a, as a swimmer, um, you know, like in my running, I always look for bigger, badder, nastier runs and as, as a swimmer. I started to say, well, what, what are the real tough swimming challenges around here? And there's an island just off Trinidad um, called Casper Grande or, or Gaspari, depending on which side of the island you're from. And it's a, it's a 10K, 10-kilometer, 10 six-mile swim around the island. And it's an annual event. And I thought, well, I've never swum anything like that distance before. Um, so it's six, 6K, four-mile swim. I haven't done that distance before, and it's open water. It's choppy, you know, you get little waves, and it's prone to current and so on. But I thought, well, um, if it's the biggest, baddest swim around here, let me go and have a go at it. It was a couple of years ago. So there's myself and other hardy swimmers. I'm listening to them. I think I was one of only two or three newbies onto the scene with like 30, 40 experienced swimmers. So I listened to them, and they talked about the current here and the waves here and so on but i was cool about this and so we got in the water and off we go and when you when you're swimming in open water uh, you have to find things to look at to make sure you're swimming in the right direction it's called sighting so every few few minutes you look up to figure out where you are and make sure you're going in the right direction so i'm swimming along and we get to one part of the island where there is there is this current and everybody talks about the current so I'm swimming along and I, I look up and I see a rock on one part of the island and I start swimming again and swimming and swimming and swimming. And a few minutes later, I look up and there's the same rock. And it's now starting to get a little scary because I'm now expending huge amounts of energy into a head current with wind and waves as well. And I'm not going anywhere. Oh, wow. And it's also now getting the stage where I'm getting cramp in my legs um, I'm tiring out and I'm just looking around and I'm thinking there's me and a couple of other people struggling, but most of the other swimmers are further forward. In other words, they've got past the rock. And, mm. so, I, and so I'm kind of now questioning myself as to, well, are they better swimmers than me? Um, of course, I'm still swimming at this point in time. And eventually this big flashing light comes on in my head. If you keep doing the same damn thing, Nigel, you're going to make the same progress against the rock, which is currently zero. Zero. (laughs) So it's now down to, ah, 
alternate strategies, alternate strategies. So I had to make some huge changes to what I was doing, how I was swimming, the route I was taking in order to get past the rock. And so the chapter is, it's kind of, there's a number of different stories in there, but the big piece of this is around what are the strategies that you need to do to pass the rock? And of course, there's the obvious thing, which is from a swimming point of view, you're not making progress, you have to change tactics. And of course, exactly the same thing is true in life. If you are looking up and seeing the same damn rock every morning, every day, every evening, you're not making the progress you want to make, but are capable of making, then you have to develop alternate strategies. And so wow. I'm, going to leave, I'm going to leave some of the rest of that up in the air there to say, buy the book, read the chapter. Yes, <laughs> yes they can download Journey to Success too. It'll be on, you know, on Amazon Kindle. And yeah, because there are, there are 21, 23 amazingly inspirational uh, stories from people really worldwide that have not just had the, you know, from overweight to weight loss to super fit, (laughs) but even, you know, everyone has just really amazing transformational personal stories to share. And I think that's the future. And I'm sure you've seen that even in the corporate training the future is really in the story when you can move people's emotions and have them start reflecting on, wow, you know, I can be so much more. I can. And, and this is really our objective with the Journey to Success, both the Journey to Success radio show and Journey to Success books um, to inspire people to get out of their own way and step into more personal power and really living, living the life they have desired. So I guess we're all going to be moving to Trinidad soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody's, everybody is welcome. We have, plenty, we have enough space to bring everybody down here. Yeah. Oh, well, wow. How can people find out more about you? Um, Do you have a my, website? I, or... I have a website, uh, www.nigeljwall.com. Um, so that has some stuff on who I am, what I do. It is currently being rebuilt, but it is live at the moment. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, Nigel J. Wall, you'll find me on Facebook. Um, so um, those are the best kind of ways to, to get around me. If you, if, you, if you want to contact me directly, you can use my Gmail account, which is nigeljwall at gmail.com. The J as in for John, nigeljwall at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, super. Okay. Yeah, because you're you know, great for leadership training and the corporate training and the one-on-one coaching. And you, like I said at the very opening, you are someone who walks your talk, you get the goal in mind, and you get the strategy to achieve it, and you have the success record to prove <laughs> that you can actually guide people to do the same in their life. So really, you know, take advantage if there is someone listening who really wants that major shift and change, then Nigel is the go-to guy. Okay, well, thanks again for this opportunity to interview you, and have a great day. Thanks a lot, Diana. Great fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at TomTooTall.com for details. Hello. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.